Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Friday, April 20th, 2018. Welcome back to the Iron College Basketball Podcast, which today is presented in part uh, by eHarmony. If you've tried or if you're trying online dating, chances are you've run into uh, some combination of lazy text messages, dead-end conversations, random matches that uh, don't actually turn into dates. But there are real success stories connected to eHarmony. In fact, I personally have relatives who met and are now married. Thanks to eHarmony, and I'm not alone. Real people are finding real matches with eHarmony every day, and that's because eHarmony takes steps that other dating sites do not in order to find you a more compatible match. It's not just some shallow hookup site. eHarmony is built to help you find lasting, meaningful relationships. It's already helped more than a million people find their perfect match. You can be the next. So stop waiting and start your journey to a satisfying, meaningful relationship um, yeah, I know it, it can be, or I've heard, it can be fun to play around with online dating apps, but uh, when you're ready to fall in love with someone and have a meaningful relationship, there's one app that's built to bring you real love. That's eHarmony. So go see how eHarmony can change your life. Go to eHarmony.com and get started and make sure you enter the code COLLEGE at checkout. That's COLLEGE at checkout. That's eHarmony.com, eHarmony.com. Matt Norlander is here with me. I had to be careful with that. I I, I can endorse uh, a dating app, but I cannot acknowledge ever being on one. I actually haven't ever been on one um, in my life. That's uh, honest to God truth. But I, but I do have friends and relatives who hey, are on them. And they, my sister-in-law and, and my brother-in-law met on eHarmony, they, and they are married. So that I can also speak to uh, what that service does. Legitimately met on eHarmony. Jeez, this must have been a decade ago. Happily married. They live all of uh, about 25 minutes from us here in Connecticut, and uh, they are splendidly uh, a terrifically happy couple. So, yes, absolutely, dreams can come true. Yeah, and I wasn't making up uh, my part of that story. Like My mother-in-law and her husband, who I suppose is my stepfather-in-law, I don't know, um, they, they met on eHarmony as well. Like, you know, met, started dating, boom, they're married. And, uh, yeah, so the, there are real success stories. Go sign up today, eHarmony.com. So it's been a while since we last spoke. When I go into the podcast file, I got a little file on my desktop that says podcast. And, uh, you know, it, I always have the date up top. You know, it's a, the, the top is a, a bit scripted. And it said April 11th, uh, 2018. So it's been a while since we've last uh, spoken. Um, are you enjoying the off season so far, Norlander? GP, I, I am. You know, it has it. It's been you know busy. Obviously, the most recent podcast we went into the FBI stuff, and that uh, that gave it a little juice coming off the Final Four. But it's it's been nice to have a little bit of a lull here, and I you know we're still going to have stuff to talk about because before the month is done, we're going to have the basketball commission's recommendations to the NCAA. So as we're in this sort of soft two-week window where we're really looking at the coaches who've been hired and the programs that are dealing with players coming and going as we're going to get to this, uh, just a heads up to listeners that there's going to be news that still comes out with a lot of that stuff. In terms of the commission and then you're seeing Adam Silver continue to talk more and more about one-and-done stuff and it being there and it not being there. So I get the feeling, GP, that we've had a nice – Somewhat relaxing uh, first two and a half weeks here, but I get the I get the sense that the late April into May will still bring us plenty to talk about. But in the here and now, you know, we're dealing with big time programs losing players for sure to the NBA and guys that are still waiting and getting the feedback. And then obviously, right, Nova that's 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 the big team, the reigning national champions, and they've there's a lot up in the air with that program right now. Yeah, every day. We're getting, you know, players announcing for the most part that they're entering the NBA draft without hiring an agent. I don't know that there's been that many surprises. Have there like p- people surprisingly coming back to school? 
or people surprisingly saying I'm in the draft for good two feet in. I mean, there uh, hasn't really been any yeah. big, big surprises, has there? There's not. Okay, so what we haven't had yet this year and what we're not going to get because really all the top 20 projected players have signed with an agent is we have not had the Doug McDermott, the Miles Bridges, players like that who are projected Smart. to be a top 20 pick that are that opt to come back and play another year. We get that over if you look at the past 10 11 years in college basketball, it's almost like an every other year kind of thing. Last year we got Miles Bridges, we're not going to have it this year. I'm not looking at the list right in front of me, GP. If we, I'm sure there are a couple of I'm leaving signing with an agent and that's going to be problematic. And before we get to Nova, just a real quick thing here. I mean, Jonathan Gavoni, um, who tracks this stuff as well as anyone out there, uh, tweeted on Friday morning that there have been 175 players who have made themselves eligible. Um, that doesn't include seniors. And a lot of those 175 players are also international prospects who, to be fair, have plenty of options if they don't get drafted. And some might even get drafted and still stay stashed overseas for a year. But there's a lot of guys out there, underclassmen, who have declared and signed with an agent and the number is just – it's just going to be a fact of, of life here. I mean, there's going to be a lot of guys who leave early, sign with an agent, don't get drafted. It's not the end of the world. You can go undrafted, still make a roster. You can go undrafted, go off and have yourself a tremendous eight- or nine-year career overseas. These could ultimately be the right steps right now. But if you're looking at it through the lens of how many players have actually declared for the draft and are signing with representation who are underclassmen, a lot of guys come draft night. Once we hit, you know, 11.45 at night and that thing wraps up, you're going to see a ton of dudes who left early that did not get picked yeah and this does happen every year and to your initial point about the big name top 20 pick coming back to school yeah we're not going to have that this year like you said we've had miles bridges we've had in recent years marcus smart was that yep a long time ago blake griffin was that so it it does happen but it doesn't appear that it's going to happen um this 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 year like I said, most of the guys who are in with an agent are guys we would expect to be in with an agent. And then everybody else is like, I don't really care if you're going through the process. I I see people getting all like excited about, ooh, so-and-so is in the draft, but he's not hiring an agent. Well, then I don't care. Like, you know, when, when, he, when he hires an agent, then we can discuss whether uh, it seems like a wise decision or an unwise decision. But uh, I'm not going to get worked up about literally anybody just going through the process that is made available to them. And then beyond that, you know, and, and I guess this would be my larger point. You know, th- there was, oh, God, who was it the other day from Wake Forest? Ah, uh, yeah. Oh, man, hold on. Yeah, let me just get the name because I, I was going to say I, I'll forget it, but I already have. Um, hold on. I think I've got it right here. Was it? Uh, Darrell Moore. That's who it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. okay. So he enters the draft with an agent, right? And I guess that was sort of a surprise, but it's not like a nationally relevant thing because he wasn't going to be the difference between Wake Forest being a top 25 team or not being a top 25 team. I don't think Wake Forest projects that way, even if he and Brian Crawford both come back. Um, So he enters the draft with an agent. So he's gone for good. And I know that that's, you know, people will raise their eyebrows at that because, you know, he's not projected to be a first round pick. I don't even know that he's projected to be a second round pick. I, I, it, it's, you know, he's, he's a second round pick at best and, and possibly go undrafted. And my thing with this is always, as long as, as people understand what they're doing, I don't care what they do. 
The only time I would like go hold up is if a kid like him, you know, announced that he's entering the NBA draft with an agent because he, you know, is being told he's a lottery pick. Well, whoa, 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 whoa. You're listening to the wrong people then. Now you need to take a step back. But as long as he understands and any of these guys understand what reality is for them, I'm fine with it because sometimes people just want to be done with school. And sometimes people just, you know, are ready to get on with their professional career in whatever form that is. You know, if it's in the NBA, great. If it's overseas, fine. If it's in the G League, whatever. And it's not what I would advise my children to do, like give up college to go to the G League or give up college to go overseas. Um, But if other people want to do it, like whatever, young people all over this country uh, who aren't basketball players make questionable decisions every day, drop out of college to go do all sorts of things all the time. And if I'm not going to spend every minute worrying about those people, I'm not going to spend every minute worrying about basketball players either. If you really want to save young people, you know, from real problems, uh, go volunteer with the boys and girls club or big brothers, big sisters. But Fretting about basketball players all the time seems a little silly to me. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. Now, if I was a, if I was a prospect, I, I, you know, a situation you and I have never and will never be in. If I was a prospect who was, you know, a good college player, but clearly, like I understand, like I was not, a, I was not close to being an All American or anything like that. Uh, I've got great confidence in my abilities, but I'm looking around and I'm seeing like all these players who are just testing this process. Um, am I really going to sign with an agent? Do I really think I've got a chance to to be picked? Because the dream of all these players is playing the NBA. Like the dream is not to go over and spend eight years in Italy and ball out, which is you know honestly that's probably an amazing life in in many respects. But the dream is to get to the NBA, and I do wonder. Um, I think a lot of these players will have the do have the right guidance in place from you know their coaches in general to to hopefully talking to responsible people at the next level when they're going through this but uh but it's just an inevitability gp i mean we're going to get to the end of this um the the may 30th deadline and there are going to be players who have opted to stay in and have received feedback or just downright stubborn to think no you know what i think i can be drafted even if it's in that 45 to 60 range i i I love the way I played at the combine, or I love what I've done in personal workouts, and um, and we'll we'll have to see. I I'm I'm most interested, I guess, of like like the, and as you're saying here, GP, the guys that are not really involved in that, like okay, let's they're just not relevant right now, and maybe they become relevant if they opt to return to college and they turn their teams into NCAA tournament type of programs. For next season, that's great within the context of college basketball overall. But within the context of the discussion we're having right now and the guys who could stay or go, you wrote earlier about Omari Spellman this week. And he is a – to me, he is – even though Dante DiVincenzo, who's also testing. So Spellman and DiVincenzo have both put their names into the draft as expected and have not signed with agents, which – was which is what I was expecting both of them to do initially. Um, to me, Spellman is actually even more pivotal to Villanova next year than DiVincenzo, and both are obviously critical. I think both of them coming back is is most critical. But Spellman, for how good he was as a redshirt freshman and how much he did, and and the fact that they're just even though there are more and more bigs who can step out and shoot, um, I think Spellman really improved dramatically as a defensive player from November to March and even early April as they win the, as they win the national championship. And DiVincenzo, obviously, he was really good. But if you watched what he did last year, like he was an immediately impactful player in a lot of ways, and he increasingly got better. And since he could 
potentially lead Villanova overall in scoring next year, Parrish. I understand why people might think that DiVincenzo's decision might mean more to Villanova. I'm not convinced of that, though. I actually think that even though DiVincenzo, if both came back, would be the team's MVP, I think just in terms of what Spellman brings to both ends of the floor and how he adds a, a very important dynamic, I think his return could be more important to Villanova overall. But in general, if you step back from that, I think it's interesting for college basketball that you've got the reigning national champions that definitely lose the team's best player in Brunson, lose the team's highest NBA draft pick in Mikael Bridges, and now they potentially they've got a chance to be really, really, really good again, but they find themselves in an unusual position in which they have other really important players now testing the draft process, and no one really knows what's going to happen with Spellman or the Big Ragu. So they had four players announced this week. Like you said, we already knew about Brunson and Bridges. Um, Booth and Pascal uh, announced that they are returning to Villanova. And Spellman and DiVincenzo, like you said, announced that they're in the NBA draft but not hiring an agent at this point. Um, I, I think Villanova is going to be good no matter what. Um, I, I think as long as you bring back Spellman or DiVincenzo, preseason top five. Mm, and if you bring both yeah. back, is Villanova number one team in the country? Parish. Okay, so when you put together the top 25 and one basically on the eve of the title game, you had – so you, obviously you had DiVincenzo coming back because he had been playing well, but there was no – honestly, like if DiVincenzo scores seven in the title game, I don't think that he even gets to this point personally. Um, he was so good on such a big stage and was the mop that, that the, you got to do this. So in that context – you would have thought DiVincenzo was coming back. Spellman, did you think Spellman was coming back on, say, April 1st, no, GP? No, the, the projections on the night of the championship game were that Brunson's gone, Bridges gone, Spellman gone, okay, and DiVincenzo back. And I still had him top three in the country. Um, but if they bring Spellman back and I have to adjust that projection, I think I move Villanova to number one. I think that's fair, and also I think uh, Kansas's Yudoka Azubuki, he declared earlier on Friday without an agent. Kansas would lose its entire starting five, and I think he comes back. But if let's if he goes, I think it makes the decision even easier if Spellman comes back and DiVincenzo come back. I, I inherently have an issue putting a team number one overall. I think I think I've uh, settled on this on this philosophy, and I might have even in, in more recent years, but I think the past two years worth of results have have reinforced it. I can't put a team preseason number one if there is not one starter who was not on starting the, t- the season before. It's just hard for me to come to terms with that personally. And if they lose Azubuki, I don't think we can have Kansas number one. Ultimately, it's your call and your decision. But if Spellman and DiVincenzo come back, absolutely. Villanova's got a great, great, great case for number one because not you bring Puth and Pascal back, who were both, by the way, like really fantastic players, and they have – a really solid sophomore crop of players that didn't get a lot of playing time last year, I can totally see them stepping in and and playing well. I mean, Demir Cosby, Roundtree got some, some minutes here and there. Colin Gillespie got some decent burn overall, and I think you'll see him really step in nicely next year and play well. And then they've got Javon Quinterly coming in, uh, who was a big-time prospect and, and formerly tied to, to Arizona. You, you factor him in as well. If they get everyone back, Parrish, I think it's just it's it might be the safe, if not predictable thing, but it's also validated. Like this is this is a roster that just won a national championship that brings 
pretty much almost everyone back except two key players. I understand that, but everyone else, they were, it wasn't just like Bridges and Brunson were carrying everyone along. Like you saw Pascal go for 24 against Kansas. All of these players are able, uh, capable of really stepping up and being the guy on a given night. It's why Villanova really has established itself as the premier program over the past half decade. So I think if they get both back, they're validated at number one. GP, though, let me just say this, or let me ask you this. I don't think they'll lose both. I don't think they'll lose DiVincenzo and they'll lose Spellman. But if they did, you'd get Pascal and Booth back, and then you got the sophomores uh, coming back, and then you got Quinterly in the fold and, and whatnot. Where, like, how much respect do you give Jay Wright then, and where would you put Villanova? Because then it gets interesting to me in terms of where they line up overall. I mean, if they lose both, first off, I guess I'd break it down this way. If they bring both back, DiVincenzo and Spellman, that means they, you know, they only had six guys who averaged more than 15 minutes per game on this, on this championship team. And they'd be bringing four of the six back and then adding a top 10 recruiting class with a five-star point guard. That's the number one team in the country to me on paper. And I'm, because let's just be honest, going with the teams with all the first year one and done guys you know, whether it's Duke or Kentucky in recent years, like it hasn't worked. And and Duke and Kentucky have still been very, very good, but they haven't been the number one team in the country. And I think when you're trying to put together a, a preseason number one, you're saying, okay, who's going to be the national champion? And I think Villanova would be best equipped if Spellman and DiVincenzo are back with Booth, Pascal, and that top 10 recruiting class with a five-star freshman point guard. I think they're best equipped to do it. Um, if they lose one, you know, I'll, I'll still keep them top three. If they lose both, I'll probably still keep them top, t- certainly top fifteen. Yeah, I, mean, I don't know if they can go. I I don't know if they can go top ten. I think they're both important. Hey, listen, we'll we'll see what happens there. I just think it gets really interesting. Villanova won't be a title contender if they lose both, but right. they're still. It's weird. Like, I don't know. I I would not consider Villanova if they lost both to be a title contender. But at the same time, um, given what Xavier loses and looking in the league, I, I, I still think they probably have to be considered the Big East favorites. I think, I think, and and if you're going to say that, then I guess they should be top ten. But I, I then I look at the roster without them, and I think is that really a top ten roster in the country? I don't know. It's it's fascinating, and and I don't know what to expect because Stevenson's they're both. Oh, here's the thing: if they stay in, they're both getting picked, but. Does DiVincenzo say, okay, I'm getting a first-round guarantee. Maybe that means I go 26th. But if I return and I'm arguably the preseason national player of the year and I wind up playing up to that, you know, can I go from 26 to 10 in next year's draft and think about how much more money that brings me? That's something that, really have, that you need to strongly weigh with Spellman. I still think that he can actually up his stock overall as well. I don't think he can make as big of a year-over-year leap as DiVincenzo, um, but it's just it's interesting. We usually don't have this kind of situation, with an, at least we haven't in recent years, where we've had a national champion because either it's it's been a Duke or Kentucky winning and then you know that the dudes are leaving, um, or you've had Carolina have some guys come back. We haven't had a team kind of sit and wait on two pretty critical players like this in this pre-draft process where it's been two guys who've been important. So that's why Villanova, they, they've turned into quite the uh, the interesting scenario and storyline here. I will say that on paper, 
I think you would agree with this. If not, say so. Um, next year's draft ought to be weaker than this year's draft? I think that is true, especially because when you look at the top 10 picks of 2018 and then you look forward to 2019. Granted, let's allow for the fact that some guys who will be 2019 top 10 picks perish will probably end up being awesome, but I still don't think talent-wise overall. Like, I think this year's draft at the top is freaking stacked. Loaded, I love it. I think that's absolutely fair. Okay, so you can benefit by coming back from school theoretically by just getting in a weaker draft. Like if you're going to go 26th in this draft, you might go 21st in the next draft, even if you're no better of a prospect, but just because the next year's draft wouldn't project to be um, as top-heavy or as deep throughout the lottery. Um, so there's that. I will say that all the time you hear – Freshmen come back to be sophomores. Sophomores come back to be juniors. Juniors come back to be seniors who are like borderline first-round picks, which I think DiVincenzo and Spellman both are. Like they could reasonably go, you know, in the second half of the first round or the first half of the second round. I, I think that's their window, like, you know, 15 to 45. And that's a big window, but that's like probably about, you know, maybe the window's more like 20 to 40. But it's somewhere in there. Uh, and and they, you know, people say, hey, I'm going to come back and improve my stock. And it, it it doesn't happen as often as people think. Now, one great example of it happened to be their former teammate, Mikel Bridges, mm-hmm. who deniably, you know, improved his stock, you know, from from last year to this year. But if you go actually look at it, players who were borderline first round picks and wanted to come back and become a lottery pick or guys who were, you know, um, you know, back into the lottery picks, wanted to come back and try to be a top five pick. Just really doesn't happen that often. Like Marcus Smart came back and didn't really improve his draft position at all. Miles Bridges came back, didn't really improve his draft position at all. Um, it, it just, it, I'm always, uh, I don't know, hesitant to just assume somebody is going to help themselves by coming back to school as it pertains to the actual draft because it, it, it really doesn't happen that often. No, I think – no, it's it's not a common occurrence. I, I still think it happens occasionally, but then you've got other instances like like, um, it's like one that pops to me, that always pops to mind, is Nick Stauskas. He was a top 10 pick coming off a solid year at Michigan. That was one of those situations where, like, absolutely, like, I just don't think there would have been any – like, there's a difference between, okay, do I want to come back and, and try and really build off my soccer? Am I so hot right now that I, like, I have to go? Because there's just – there's almost no shot that, that's, that I can possibly capitalize any further off of what I have right now. And those are the situations that always intrigue me. It does not happen a ton. I think it happens – honestly, I'm, GP, I'm talking off the top of my head here. I feel like maybe one – Maybe two a year, there might be a guy that's picked five spots higher. Like, if he would have been, like, the 40th pick, he goes 33rd. Or if he would have been, like, 28th pick, he goes 22nd or something like that. You don't have a case, usually, where a guy has come back and made – I mean, it has happened, but, like, made just ridiculous strides year over year. Um, So – I don't foresee that being the case with either of these guys, and so if that is going to be the reality, and these are the these are the tough decisions they have to make here, uh, what do you want to do, and what really means the most to you, and do you want a chance going in a, in a weaker draft overall? Um, it goes without saying, obviously, it would be better for college basketball if both came back. Let's do uh, let's do over under here, <laughs> over under zero point five Dante Divincenzo and Amari Spellman's 
returning to Villanova next year? I think it's exactly that. I, I think it's um, I think one comes back and one. I think DiVincenzo's back. Spellman's gone. That's if, what I would guess. If I'm predi- a- I, GP, if I'm predicting right now, that is my prediction as well. Right. And so and that's fine. Like, you know, if Spellman wants to get on with his professional career. Like, I'm never going to blame a kid for becoming a millionaire. <laughs> like, yeah. like people like to say, oh, the kid's making a mistake. Like what? If it, if the worst mistake you ever make is it helps you like get a six figure job or a seven figure job, like God bless you. And so I, I, I land on this. Um, I, I wrote actually wrote about it earlier in the week because um, people say, what do you think? What do you think uh, Spellman ought to do? What do you think DiVincenzo uh, ought to do? I think they should do whatever they want to do. That's my opinion. Blanket opinion always on these things. Do whatever you want to do. Just make sure you understand reality. Like if you're Omari Spellman, don't think you're a top 10 pick who's going to be a rotation player on a NBA team next year because you're probably not going to be. More likely you're, uh, you know, a, a, a pick somewhere 25 to 35. Yeah, you're getting a paycheck, but you're at the end of an NBA bench or and maybe bouncing, you know, down to the G League every once in a while. Just make sure you know what what's in store for you. And if that's what you want, then go do it. And then say the same thing for Dante. Like, do um, do whatever it is you want to do. Um, just make sure you understand, get good information, listen to what, um, you know, listen to what the people who you're supposed to be listening to, listen to what they're telling you. Don't so much listen to other people who don't know what they're talking about. And then just process the information and, and, and make, uh, and then do whatever you want to do. And I will say, if I remember correctly, I think we talked about it on this podcast a year ago, like when the deadline to withdraw passed and players who had not signed with an agent could come back to school. I think the large takeaway was, you know what? Most of these people did exactly what it is. The process is set up to allow them to do like they went through it. They got feedback. They worked out. They bounced around the country and then almost I, I think the number was very small of guys who stayed in the draft who just had no business staying in the draft. I think, the, you know, for as much skepticism people have that young basketball players can make good decisions, if I remember correctly, last year, for the most part, you know, there was a, a, a questionable decision here, questionable decision there. But for the most part, people did uh, sensible things. And so I just continue to trust them to do sensible things. Yep, I agree. And we'll see what happens. We still got uh, we got a few more days here. Hey, one thing, just because I'm looking yep. at it now. Okay. Uh, is, uh, on the subject of players who come back to school and actually improve their draft stock drastically. Mikel Bridges clearly did. I'm looking at my latest mock draft. Okay. So Mikel Bridges clearly did. I have him now projected to go 10th overall. Miles Bridges really didn't. You would agree, right? I would agree. He's He's static, basically. Robert Robert Williams really didn't, did he? Uh, no, I'd say he was. He's consistent, static. Yeah, consistent. He's about where you thought he would have been last year. Um, I'm just looking at anybody who are non freshmen. Landry Shamit might have. Shamit to be determined. To be determined. Um, Kerry Thomas clearly did right. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Aaron Holiday clearly did. Absolutely. Oh, here's another good one. Kata Bates-Diop. Uh, probably the biggest one in the draft. Yeah, but He would the not thing, have been picked a year ago, yeah. and now he's going to go in the first round. Yeah, but he I, had I, to come back. Like, I don't know. That's not the same thing, right, GP? It's not the same thing. You're exactly right. That's what, what I need to point out is that um, Mikel Bridges is somebody who could have reasonably entered the draft after last year 
but decided to come back. You know, I, it wasn't reasonable for Kyrie Thomas to enter the draft last year, was it? Um, he were, I think he would have been picked. It would have just been a second. Like he could have. It wasn't as much of a toss up. It would. Kate Bates the up. Wouldn't it? it wouldn't have been reasonable for her, him to enter the draft last year, would it? I do not think so. Right. So like he's not somebody who actually had a a real decision to make. Aaron Holiday might have. Um, yeah. And then. Yeah, like, you know, I've got Jacob Evans at the bottom of the first round, but he's not somebody who could have reasonably considered no, no. the NBA last year. So, again, the, the list is pretty short of guys who actually do that. You know, Grayson Allen, probably a borderline first-round pick last year, uh, borderline first-round pick this year. Yep. It just really it doesn't, it doesn't happen too much. But, you know, ultimately, and, and we'll move on, Spellman and DiVincenzo, they've got to um, get the information and figure out what they want to do and weigh reality of getting a big paycheck and – more than likely being on an NBA roster, but more than likely not playing very much. Um, weigh that against we could come back and, and be on a team that could win a third. Think about this for a second. They could reasonably win a third national championship in a four-year period. Yeah. And that's insanity. Yeah. yeah. But if those two, those two kids come back, they, they, I, they will, I, in my opinion, be the favorites to do it. So what is that worth? And with Steven Chinzo, like to be the face of college basketball mm-hmm. – because you know how much people love white bas- college basketball <laughs> players um, who, who can, like, run and jump and dunk and stuff. And so he becomes a, a big, you know, what's that worth to you? Because right. you never get that. You'll never get that back. I mean, here's the truth. They've got an opportunity to, if they want to, um, be the two best players on a team that could win a national championship. So the two best players on a nationally relevant team. They'll never have that again. Right. Neither one of them will never be one of the two best players on a basketball team again if, they, if they're in the NBA. I guess they could do it in the G League or somewhere else. But if they're in the NBA, and that's where they want to be, they'll never be one of the two best players on a basketball team again, barring some surprise. So, like, how much is all that worth? It's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting uh, situation to be in. But here's the good news for them, I think, is that um, there's not a bad decision to be made. Whatever either of them do, um, I think you'll be able to rationalize it um, uh, pretty easily. Let me tell you about SeatGeek. Buying tickets online can be complicated, but it doesn't have to be not with SeatGeek, and that's because SeatGeek searches multiple ticket sites for you. Uh, that way you know you're getting the best prices, best seats, best value, everything. You find what you want, and then two clicks later, you're buying tickets. It could not be easier. For instance, last week in Norlander, my wife and I were watching Beyonce's performance at Coachella, and she was like, hey, Beyonce, Jay, aren't they coming to Nashville soon? So I jumped on SeatGeek. It's true. Coming in August, started looking at tickets. I was staring at ticket options in a matter of seconds. Two, cl- two clicks, and I'm, I'm sitting there ready to check out. And so if you're looking for tickets to anything, NBA playoff games, concerts, hockey, baseball, whatever, um, make sure to use SeatGeek first. And also to use the promo code COLLEGEBB because if you uh, download that app, and use the promo code COLLEGEBB, the first time you use it, you're going to get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. That's a promo code COLLEGEBB. COLLEGEBB. That's SeatGeek. Millions of tickets in one place. Did you watch Coachella? Uh, I watched parts of it here and there. Um, but I, it will, if I'm not mistaken, I believe it's a, all the same performers are back this weekend playing right. their sets again. So I will have more time and availability to try, to try and check in on that. Um, yeah, we- uh, we checked out a little bit of it, so yeah. uh, it's always you know, sit around Child, the house. Destiny's it's, Child reunion, man, that was uh, that was the stuff right there. So. She is an incredible performer. Oh yeah, this it's just, I, I it's it's yes, she was 
born to do exactly what she's doing, and it's undeniable. She is like, she's fantastic. Yeah, I don't even understand the backlash to the extent that there is some backlash on her. I, I realize she's almost universally recognized as the you know the best um, entertainer working today, if in 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 arguably or at least on the short list of all time. But like, I it, it just seems. Beyonce as a performer, like she'd just be something everybody agrees on. Yes. Like she's amazing. Like I, I've joked for a while. Like I, I don't even know why they do different Super Bowl performers. Like it should be Beyonce every year. Like who would argue against that? If Beyonce was Super Bowl halftime every year, like it was, she'd be amazing every year. Yeah. Now I'm not like music wise. She's got some some good songs. I'm not like I'm not in the hive. Um, but from a performance standpoint, it, it is undeniable. Um, just how amazingly talented she is, and uh, and it's awesome to kind of to to live in a moment like you know there have been amazing per- performers over the years and there will continue to be so, but just you know just accept accept her dominance uh, and and undeniably uh, acknowledge the fact that she is one of the best of of all time. There's there's no doubt about it. Um, so you went through um, the coaching hires, yes, um, earlier this week and. It sort of divided them up into lists, like you know, slam dunk hire. This was this is excellent, and then quality hires, and then like let's take a wait and see approach. And you only called two of the new hires slam dunks. And I do think I, I don't know if you could extend the list. Maybe you could, like maybe it's more than two. But if you are, if you're going with slam dunk and you can only pick two, I think you pick the right two. It's Louisville's Chris Mack and and UConn's Dan Hurley. Is there anybody else you considered? putting on that list of slam dunk hire. I considered Tom Crean at Georgia and I considered Jeff Capel at Pitt. But the reason why, and yeah, I see, uh, give me the floor for just a quick sec here. Cause we used to grade out these hires, but then I just, I have an issue with grading coaching hires before they've coached a damn game. Okay. Uh, so that's why actually we have the, on the only place you can find it on the internet, I grade the hires Four years later, which is kind of ridiculous, but at the same time, it's also very fair because it's a full recruiting cycle. You get a full sample size, and so we also have on the site right now a look at 2014's biggest hires, and that's actually a very fun thing to go back and look at, and Auburn fans hate me because I rated Bruce Pearl as as a C plus. They think he's been an A. Everyone outside of Auburn has pretty much told me that's a a pretty fair assessment overall. I'm digressing here. Um, Pitt and... Uh, Georgia were the ones I considered. I did not put Capel as a slam dunk because inherently Pitt wanted Dan Hurley. Pitt did not get Dan Hurley. It had to settle for a second option overall at the very best. And so that's why I, I bumped it down just a little bit. I'm also not as gung-ho on Capel to Pitt as I think a lot of people are. I think Capel's going to do a fine job there. Um, but what's your expectation, Pitt? Like, if you think he should be a slam dunk higher, then you'd have to have something close to what Jamie Dixon accomplished. And I just don't believe that if Jeff Capel's at Pitt for the next 10 years, he's going to go to the NCAA tournament in nine of those 10 years. I just don't think that's going to happen. I think he's going to have some success recruiting and get that program relevant. But if you're Pitt and you look at the landscape of the ACC right now, I think you need to accept and and be okay with Pitt making two of, say, the next six NCAA tournaments. You know, that might not be what you want, but let's have the expectations in check. That's a loaded league with a lot of good coaches in it right now, and Capel's building something up from scratch overall. Crean I did not quite go with as a slam dunk because I think that he can have success overall. Obviously, he's got a great record, a career record of 356 and 231, um, but he's never coached in that area, in that region, and... 
the Georgia job, man, I don't, I don't, I, like, I think the Georgia job is, I, th- I think it should be a top 35 job in America given its location, its proximity to Atlanta, which always, always has talent. And if you can actually recruit that state and own it, then Georgia should be in the tournament every single year. So I just barely put Tom Crean a notch below overall. I do think it's a really good hire, but Louisville got its primary target. UConn got its primary target. Those are my two slam dunks. GP, I want to ask you, the other quality hires, I basically took the 10 most high-profile hires. Not necessarily maybe the 10 biggest programs, like LaSalle isn't one of the 10 biggest programs, but Ashley Howard came from Villanova where he helped win two national titles in three years. He's a big name. Honestly, maybe outside of Capel, he was the most attractive assistant coach hire on the market. So I had LaSalle listed there. Um, I have Kermit Davis as a quality hire as well. Joe Julie to East Carolina. Um, But then the ones I have wait and see, I have Travis Steele at Xavier. I have Penny Hardaway at Memphis. And I have David Cox at Rhode Island. And they're all 0-0 and lifetime as head coaches. Now, so is Howard, but LaSalle, given its financial, I guess, hurdles, um, and you get a Philly guy, like, to me, that's like, you're not going to do better if you're LaSalle than getting him. So that's why I listed him as a quality hire. But everyone else I have as a, as a wait and see with Steele, Hardaway, and Cox. Do you have? A, do you disagree with, with any of those... Um, Listings, I guess, in the wait and sees. I am curious to hear your opinion. I would, I would argue this: that no coach in a new job, and so that's everybody on this list: Chris Mack, Dan Hurley, Tom Crean, Jeff Capel, everybody, has accomplished as much as Penny Hardaway's already accomplished. <laughs> that's true. That, by the that, way. It, it, it is true. It is true, Parrish. And I'll let you finish here. But the one thing is, like, he is doing all of that well. I just I just haven't seen him coach a college basketball game yet. So I just want yep. to see how you that goes. Ashley Howard. You haven't seen Ashley Howard coach a college basketball game. It's true, but Memphis is at such a higher standing than LaSalle overall. It's valid. Like, I, I totally get it. Um, and Penny is he's killing it right now. There's no, there's no doubt about it. I'm fascinated, as I've said many times on this podcast, about what's going to happen there. So I did weigh it. I did. I did. And it is a good hire. I just, I don't know. I want to wait and see what. Oh, oh you know, here's what I would say if you ask me to speak honestly about it. It is a great hire. A gr- like it, as, in the sense of, now, now these are two different things. It's a great hire. I don't know if it's going to be a great thing for five years. But, you know, I've never seen, I, I've never seen him coach a college basketball game either. We will see if he can do that part of the job. But it is a great hire um, given what's already happened in the city. He... They've already sold more than a million dollars of season ticket of new season tickets. Um, they've which comes out to what just GP? Like how many tickets is it? Do we think? I think they're going to go under Tubby Smith last season. The season ticket number dropped down to four thousand one hundred fifteen, which is just ugh. I mean it's 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 a it's a historic low. Everything connected to Tubby Smith in Memphis is going to go down in history as a historical low season ticket sales actual attendance recruiting on the court product all of it like modern era lows and i think they are expecting by the time the season begins to to be somewhere around 11 or 12,000 season tickets sold man okay and that's that's, that's the impact it's already had that's, that's huge yeah 
And then, and then from a recruiting perspective, they've gotten they've secured commitments from three top 150 players already. Alex Lomax, who played for Penny at East High, uh, Tyler Harris, who is from nearby Cordova High, and Antoine Jones, who was signed to a national letter of intent with Texas A&M, but got released from that and then took a visit to Memphis and committed last Sunday night. So no new coaches added three top 150 guys um, already, except for um, except for Penny Hardaway. And among the reasons it's super duper impressive is that, you know, the unit, the previous staff with Tubby Smith, they decided from the jump, you cannot possibly recruit Alex Lomax and Tyler Harris, both because they will never play together and they're rivals. They play for rival summer programs. Alex Lomax played for Team Penny. Tyler Harris played for Team Thad. Like, the, I know this might sound silly, but like in the city, like that, that's that's like Yankees, Red Sox stuff. Like they, they, those programs did not like each other. They're affiliated with different shoe companies. They 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 like get nasty recruiting players out of the city. Sometimes players jump from one program to the other. And so the previous staff just said, well, you can't get Lomax and, and Tyler Harris both. So you got to pick one. So they picked Alex Lomax. And they recruited him, and they ignored Tyler Harris all last summer, and they couldn't get anything done with Alex Lomax. He ultimately went the, signed with the Wichita State. So then they started trying to recruit Tyler Harris, and they couldn't get that done. And then Penny comes in and in a three-day span gets commitments from both of them, like did something that the previous staff thought was impossible. He got it done in three days. And so I, I'm with you on like we'll see where it goes. But in terms of just like making a hire that re-energizes your fan base and kicks recruiting up to a level where, you know, Memphis now has a top 30 class in 2018, number one class in the American Athletic Conference. Um, the things that he's actually, that, that he, the things that are there to be done in the first month on the job, literally nobody could have done them better. Yeah. All right, let's put our feet to the fire here, Parrish. Um, let, let's, let's try and, you know, do a little forecasting. So of the 10 coaches, and I'll, I'll run them down again for listeners. So Chris Mack to Louisville, Dan Hurley to UConn. You've got Tom Crean to Georgia, Jeff Capel to Pitt, Kermit Davis to Ole Miss, Joe Dooley to East Carolina, Ashley uh, Howard to LaSalle, Travis Steele to Xavier, Penny to Memphis, and David Cox to Rhode Island. Those are 10 coaches. I think those are the 10 most notable hires from this season's carousel. Let's it's 2018. So let's just do a half decade. Let's go to April 20th, 2023. What I think is undeniable is that at least one of these coaches will have been fired by then. Um, The odds are overwhelmingly in favor of something like that happened. We don't root for this. It just is a nature of the business. You'll probably have a couple of these guys go on to other jobs for one reason or another, but let's go uh, best and worst. So five years from this very day, which of these 10 coaches do you think will have done the best job overall whose situation? And, and, and if that's the case, maybe they're still at the school and they're thriving. And which one do you think is in the tightest spot now that is the highest probability of just having it go sideways on them and uh, they, they wind up not being at the school? I will go first. I think the coach who is in the best position now, when you look at what the coach has done, where the coach is, the expectations of the program overall. I'm going to say Tom Crean at Georgia. I think because of his coaching ability, the fact that he has been in major conference college basketball coaching for two decades, essentially, 
And his NCAA tournament record is just okay. He's 11-9. and nine. It's not great. It's not terrible. It's fine. He's won three regular season conference championships. I think he will be at Georgia in five years. He'll have gotten the program to like three NCAA tournaments, and they'll be doing well. I think overall, expectations included, I think he will be in the best position overall. I think... Joe Dooley will not be at East Carolina in five years because that's a really hard job. He's been there once before. He had a great five-year run at Florida Gulf Coast. He's coming off of um, that program just seems like a really, really tough ask overall. So he is my – I'm least optimistic about East Carolina's forecast overall, primarily because of the job, not because of the man. Um, but I figured uh, it would be fun to at least try and predict these kind of things. So best and worst. Who you got, GP? Well, first off, on East Carolina, I would I would bet Dooley's there, and here's why: they gave Jeff Lebo eight years. Totally, totally valid. So maybe not even that he's not there, but like if you tell me right now, five years from now, Dooley's still there, and they have not sniffed an NCAA tournament appearance, I'm going to believe it easily. Yeah, like that that would be my point. Like I don't know, East Carolina is impossible. Like I don't know how you're supposed to win at that at that school in a league where you're with UConn, now that UConn's got Dan, Memphis and Penny recruiting the way Penny's going to recruit. Then you got Greg Marshall, Mick Cronin. Um, yeah. You know, I like good luck. So I, I, here's what I would say. I think Joe Dooley does not like, I don't think Joe Dooley ever makes an NCAA tournament at East Carolina, but I do think he's there in five years. Okay. Would you agree with me that at least one of these 10 coaches are not, are going to be fired so, with, yeah, okay. for one reason or another, right? Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll stick on that subject for a second. The one I would say most likely to not be there in five years, and I don't mean this as anything other than um, it's it, it, it comes down to a situation where you're replacing somebody who did un, unprecedented stuff, and you're probably not going to be able to keep it at that level. And then, you know, then so then you got to go because that's where the bar is. I'd got David Cox at Rhode Island. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, like I just think it's going to be hard for him to replicate what Dan did, and when you can't replicate, or or you know what Dan did, then 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 what do you you know sure. what happens? And so I, yeah. I would say that's the most likely. But like I'm perfectly happy to be wrong about that. Yeah, no, absolutely. Rhode Island will be fascinating. Is Rhode Island going to continue what well, it's been able to do, or or will we look back ten years from now and say? Yeah, there was one awesome period, and that was when Dan Hurley was there. And since then, they've just kind of settled to the middle, bottom half of the of the league. I, we don't know. It's going to be intriguing. Right. And, and and you could say the same thing about Travis Steele, except for this. Everybody wins at Xavier. Yes. Everybody wins at Xavier. So, like, not every, like, only Dan wins at Rhode Island. Everybody wins at Xavier. And I understand that this is a new deal because Xavier's now in the Big East, and you know, it's just, but everybody wins at Xavier. And so I'm, I'll just assume the next guy wins. At I'm going to keep assuming the, um, the next guy will win at Xavier until I'm proven wrong. So that would be the difference between Rhode Island's situation and Xavier's situation. Um, in that's terms that's of situation. In five years, yeah. Yeah. in terms of five years, who will be set up best relative to the expectations at the school? I, I think you make some good points about Kareem because the expectations aren't, you know, it's like, hey, you know, if we go to the NCAA tournament every few years like that's pretty good that's good and i think he's going to be able to do that at georgia so that that makes sense to me uh, chris at louisville seems very safe it is but like the expectations gp yeah. like there's a lot of unknowns that's why i don't go mac because there's just there's no as we talked about in a previous podcast like 
he can have a lot of success, and it might not even be good enough for Louisville fans. Like, if he gets to the tournament almost every year, but Sweet 16s are just here or there, whatever, like, that's uh, your term overall I love. Who's set up in the best situation? I think Chris can have a lot of success, but if his success is parallel in terms of wins and tournament appearances and what you do in the tournament to Crean, then Crean has the upper hand given what Georgia is versus what Louisville is. I think Dan at UConn is very safe. I like I, I but the expectations because like I don't think UConn's ever going to be what it was. I, I don't I don't like at, UConn was a top five program in America for a long time. You know, winning three national championships from here to here. Yeah. I, I don't think UConn's ever going to be that. I, I think when UConn got out of the Big East, the the UConn changed as a basketball program. But I still do think Dan's going to be able to recruit well enough, and he's obviously an accomplished coach. Um, you know, to, to, to flourish in the American athletic conference. So I think he'll do well relative to the league, but not well relative to UConn's normal historical. Yeah, 1995 under- to 2012. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. I don't think he'll match that. And I honestly, my advice to UConn fans would adjust, adjust your expectations and, and like dream of whatever you want to dream of. But like, I wouldn't hold my new coach to that standard. You know what? If the question is actually, who is the safest in term? I know we're changing the question, but if the question is who is safest in like he going to have his job in five years, it might really be Penny Hardaway again. Because Memphis just ain't firing well, No, Hardaway. but no, 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 no. I'm not changing the question here. I want you to tell me on April 20th, 2000, be, yeah. 2023, who will have had the most successful run and marry that concept with, you know, the expectations of the program as they are on April 20th, 2018. You can agree with me if you think it's green, but I just I want I want your answer. Probably if when you throw in relative to the expectations, because I think there's a scenario under which Chris could be doing really well at Louisville, but you know, but losing to Kentucky and not doing as well as Rick. Like you go look at what Rick Pitino was doing at Louisville. I like I don't think I don't think you're going to be able to do that. It's it's a very big ask. I mean that's tough. I mean that's t- so I think it's possible Chris could be doing a great job at Louisville and yet still not doing what Louisville fans want him to be doing. Um, I think it's possible Dan could be doing a great job at UConn and still not doing what Barrett, UConn just answer the question. And I am answering the question. I'm, I'm talking through it. I know. I know. And, so I think Crean, I think Crean's the guy, but I also think Penny is on that list because I think he's going to recruit at a level that's going to put him in a position where he can just physically overwhelm you know, about 75% of the teams in the American Athletic Conference. Here's my question for you, because I know we want to wrap up on this topic as you're talking about Penny. Let's say, and we'll get into Wiseman too, but let's say, um, let's say like four or five years from now, Penny's still there. They're doing well. Um, he's recruiting guys. He's bringing in, you know, on an annual basis, two or three players in a Memphis recruiting class are within the top 70 uh, in the country, right? Um, do you think that Penny will develop I don't want to say it's a negative stigma but it was it's it was almost used as this weird to me it was it was something of a shallow argument against Cal when he was like oh he's just a recruiter he's not really a coach do you anticipate something like that happening if he winds up getting like let's say Memphis on average has a top 10 recruiting class every single year that he's there for the next five years. Do you think that that will be something that sticks to Penny the way that it did for Cal for so long? Well, I, I actually think it, he's got 
a more likely chance of running into what Josh Pastner ran into, which is you recruit at a high level, which sets up a certain level of expectations. Like if we're getting these players, here's what we're supposed to do with them. Like in a vacuum, if you look at Josh's seven years at Memphis and especially the first five, where he went to four NCAA tournaments in five years. If you know nothing about nothing except for the Memphis coach went to four NCAA tournaments in five years, you're like, woohoo, except Memphis fans weren't because the level of talent in the program didn't just suggest going to NCAA tournaments and then losing in the first weekend. Like the level of talent in the program suggested you've got Sweet 16 talent, but you never go to the Sweet 16. And that's where Josh ran into a problem. And so to the extent that Penny could run into an issue, to me, it's that issue. Like, it's already clear he can recruit. I mean, he went and flipped Antoine Jones, flipped a Juco kid who was committed to New Mexico, got Tyler Harris, Alex Lomax. He's in the house with James Wiseman. Mike Miller's got his, who he hired as an assistant coach, has connections. He's been working out kids for the past year. So he's got connections to three top 15 kids class of 2019. They're in those homes this week of all those kids. Like Memphis was in the home, and I know that doesn't necessarily mean anything, but it, it it's it's better than the previous staff was doing. Um, so they're gonna it's already clear they're gonna be able to recruit. And so then the question becomes, what can you do with the players? And I do think if if there's an issue that Penny runs into, it'll be that the recruiting classes rank in some four year span uh fifth, eighth, twelfth, seventh, something like that. And then you look up and you go, okay, but what'd you really do? Where's the final four? Where's the elite eight? You know, that, that, I think that's more, I think that's more on the table than, and I guess with that becomes the reputation of, which is the reputation Josh inherited, not inherited, but um, created a guy can recruit at a high level, but he can't, he can, he can take the players and win, but he can't take the players and win as much as he's supposed, as the roster suggests he's supposed to win. Like this works, you know, both ways. Like Tony Bennett can clearly take a roster that the individual pieces don't suggest it should be a top 10 team and make it a top 10 team. The knock on Josh at Memphis was, okay, you've got a roster that says you're supposed to be a top 10 team, but you're not a top 10 team. You're not in the Sweet 16. To me, that is something, and we won't know this about Penny until like, you know, we're two years into it. But the point you initially made is a valid point. Like, can he coach? Can he coach in the games? Because can he do the job on game day? It's already crystal clear he can do the job in every way uh, that you can do this job. The, The only unknown is can he do the job on game day? Because with all due respect to, you know, EYBL coaches and Memphis high school coaches, like it's a little different when you're coaching against Mick Cronin and Greg Marshall. And uh, Dan Hurley, um, you know, Fran Dumphy, like you're coaching against some high level guys now. And and, um, you know, we'll see that that is the unknown. Yeah. And I'm eager for next season to get here for a number of reasons. But that is that is among the the most uh, anticipated for me. I just I want to see how this all this all works. And and am I right in that you wrote about Wiseman? Um, is he? Is he going to re- try and reclassify what's – so James Wiseman, for people that might not realize, he's the number one recruit in the class of 2019. Can he reclassify? Will he reclassify, GP? Okay, here's the deal. Um, the mother, who is just the sweetest lady in the world, like she just comes across as terrific every time I hear her speak, um, is insistent that they are not interested in reclassifying. Um, and I believe her. But 
the point I make in the column is that the truth is reclassifying makes all the sense in the world. Like, honestly, at this point, even if you weren't interested in reclassifying, once you lay out the situation, um, you should, you know, it just makes a lot of sense to reclassify. While recognizing, and I, and this is, I, I wrote this, it's none of my business, and, and it's not my decision to make. But if you ask me to make a compelling case for reclassifying, here's what it would be. And for people who are unfamiliar, he is the number one player in the class of 2019. He's from Nashville, but he played for Team Penny last summer. And then he moved to Memphis to play for Penny Hardaway at East High School. And so now his high school coach that he moved from Nashville to Memphis to play with is no longer his high school coach. In fact, he's the head coach at the University of Memphis. And so now what we have, which is what makes this recruitment fascinating, you've got the best coach in Memphis history, John Calipari, recruiting heads up against the best player in Memphis history, Penny Hardaway. For the number one player in America, James Wiseman. How are you going to disrespect Chris Dozier like that, by the way? Continue. <laughs> well, there is like a little bit of an argument going on in Memphis. Like, what about Keith Lee? And, and they were like, what about, <laughs> Come on. what about Dana Kirk? And I'm just like, listen, for the sake of a tweet, I needed John to be the best coach and Penny to be the best player. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, John's clearly the best coach. And clearly, the, he just is. He's, a, he's the only Hall of Fame coach that's ever worked at Memphis. And then um, Penny's the only Memphis player to ever be – both a first-team college All-American and a first-team All-NBA guy. Now, they've obviously had – Keith Lee was a, a, like a three-year first-team All-American, so you could make that argument. And Derrick Rose hold, was the MVP yeah. of the NBA. So yeah, but make hold that. on. Rose doesn't, doesn't apply? He wasn't uh, a, He wasn't a first-team All-American? Oh, Chris Douglas Roberts was a first-team All-American. Derrick Rose was not. How about that? You know what, though? CDR was – tremendous as a college player. So I, I, I totally buy that. He was awesome. So, okay. so anyway, for the sake of the tweet, really just for the sake of the tweet, I needed the best Memphis coach and the best Memphis player. So that's the way. I gotcha. I gotcha. Yeah. So, um, so like, it, it's fascinating. Like it's happening in Memphis where Penny Hardaway is currently the most popular sports figure by a wide margin. And John Calipari, silly as it might sound, is still all these years later, the least popular sports figure in Memphis. So it's like, there's a lot of stuff there. And so I just sort of laid that out, you know, that, like it was a foregone conclusion, wasn't even going to be a real recruitment. Wiseman was going to Kentucky until Penny got the Memphis job. And now if you go to 24-7 Sports Crystal Ball predictions, there are 16 recruiting analysts who have made predictions for James Wiseman. Is it eight, eight and eight? Kentucky and eight have said Memphis. Oh, I it, love it. It's, it's split right down the middle. And so I'm just sort of, you know, just telling the story. And then I get to the part where, and here's the other thing, like he really could reclassify. And again, the family has said that they're not interested in doing that. But at some point, Penny and or John is going to make the case to him of why he should reclassify. And the case is this. First off, he's a smart kid. Like he speaks multiple languages. Like he is somebody, he's 6'11 and a freakish athlete and a future multimillionaire. But if he was 5'11 and unathletic, he would still be a super impressive young person. Like, he's, he's not just a basketball player. So, and, and he was in school at Nashville Innsworth, which is one of the best private schools in the state. And he transferred to East High, which, with all due respect, isn't. And so he's smart enough to reclassify and do college work next year. And I'm told that his curriculum is in a place where it is possible to get it done. So the argument would be this. You moved to Memphis to play for Penny Hardaway at East High School. He's not there anymore. And so you can stay there, 
But you'll spend the next year not getting challenged academically, not getting challenged athletically, and you know, and and more than likely look up in a year and 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 be very uh, be be not so different than you are right now. Whereas on the other hand, you could reclassify, go on and get into college, and where whether it's Memphis, Kentucky doesn't matter to me. But you get on a college campus, and you immediately get a, a college workout plan. So you're going to look up in a year and you're going to be stronger than you otherwise would be. We'll get you on a college diet immediately. So you're going to uh, look up in a year and just you'll have a different body than you otherwise would. Um, you're going to be working out every day in practices against comparable talent. So people who can push you and make you better. Um, you know, Odds are you're getting better instruction at the high major level, whether it's at Memphis or Kentucky, than you would be at the high, at the high school level. And the reason Penny and John are both going to push for this is because he's only 17 years old. He does not turn 19 till 2020. So it's not like a Marvin Bagley situation where Duke pushes Bagley to reclassify and then they get him for a year and then he's gone. If you can get James Wiseman to reclassify, you got him for two years. He cannot enter the NBA draft till 2020 unless the CBA has changed. So you, you it, it, it's not counterproductive for John or Penny to make this case. It's like it gives you, if you can convince the family to reclassify, you get two years of the number one prospect in America. When's the last time that happened? That's when's, when's just... the last time the number one player in the country coming out of high school spent two years in college? I don't even remember. Um, and... Hold on. Let me just try and answer it. Uh, was So, you know, not even just including this rule, like weird, calendar age thing um the number one player was it blake blake was the number one guy right i, I think that's the answer i don't know well if if blake Hold was on. the number one guy in his class then that check. is the answer but i don't i don't think blake griffin was the number one player in the class i don't even think he was a top five guy in that class you might be right i'm just trying to think um so it was 2000 he was class of 2007 that's a 2007 recruiting rankings let me see interesting call you're probably uh, right yeah. Um. I so if it's not Blake, like when was it? Uh. I really. Man, you know, it was. Um. Of course, it was Gordon because it was Gordon and Mayo. Um. Beasley was three. Where is Blake? Two thousand seven. Yeah, I'm looking at it now. Blake Dude, Griffin he's, he's was nowhere near six, this. Sixteen, right behind Anthony Randolph. Man, oh, oh this, man, this is okay, this is James a fascinating was, class. James Harden was fourteen. So it goes, it, it's class of 2007, it goes Eric Gordon, O.J. Mayo, 2, Michael Beasley, 3, Kevin Love, 4, Derek Rose, 5, Kyle Singler, 6, Dante Green, 7, Nick Kalathis, 8, Man. Austin Freeman, 9, Patrick Patterson, 10, and DeAndre Jordan's at 12, James Harden's at 14, Blake Griffin's at 16, I'm going down Jared Bayless, it. still in the league, 17. Man, what an interesting class. Parsons, 29. Man. Yeah. So I really, I, so to get back where we, you know, on subject. Um, so you, 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 if you're Cal and Penny, you push for it because you're going to get him for two years because he can't enter the draft till 2020. And if you, and, and so for, to, to convince the family, you say, listen, you gain really nothing by sending another year high school, a year in high school, but you're going to get college instruction now. You're going to be in college for two years. And if you say, your education is really important to you, which we believe you. We know it is. 
Well, by the time you enter the draft and get on with your professional career, you're already going to be at least halfway toward a bachelor's degree, which makes it easier for you to come back and get that degree. Um, and by playing two years in college as opposed to one year in high school and one year in college, uh, you should be better prepared to be impactful when you actually enter the NBA in 2020. Um, and by playing on national television every week for two years as the number one prospect in America, um, it should help you build your brand, which could be worth literally millions of dollars. So the reclassification part of that column is totally me. It, it, the family has actually said, we don't want to do that. I just think, and the point I make in the column is, I'll be, I believe they believe what they're saying. I'm not calling anybody a liar. But I think as this is starts to, as this recruitment progresses, and John and Penny eventually broach this topic, if they haven't already, and you really weigh the pros and cons of going back to a high school that you've only been at one year to play for a coach you didn't actually go there to play against, play for, because he's no longer there. When you start weighing the pros and cons of reclassifying and not reclassifying, I think it, it's, to, at least in my mind, it is pretty obvious. The, the thing I would do if it were my son, I guess I'll say, is we would reclassify. I have the answer, by the way. Hmm. The last number one recruit. Let, let, me, let me try to guess. You know it if I'm saying it now. I, no, okay. I do not know. Okay. I, I was going to ask you this question. First off, how many years did Allen Iverson play at Georgetown? Uh, he played two. Was it Iverson? Then? It's it's not Iverson. It, it has happened um, within the past decade. Happened within the past decade. Number one player. And I think, GP, I think that, so if Wiseman applies and this player applies, I think that will only be like legitimately like two players in the past 20 years, maybe 18 years that this has actually been the case for. I'm. Ooh. I'm is it, was Hansborough number one? Uh, no, I haven't got the I, no. I I, I don't. Got it. I got it. Yeah, you're on the you're on the path. Yep, Harrison. Barnes. Yes, correct. Yeah, Harrison, Harrison Barnes, number one in class of 2010, stuck around for two years, but through 95 to 2006, if you were the number one prospect in your class, you were going to the NBA. You weren't going to right. college, so that's why this is particularly a rarity. Uh, in general, so Barnes was the exception to the rule, and Wise and would still be that because Wiseman's situation wouldn't exactly be the same as as Harrison's was. Very intriguing, and we got you know this is going to be really a major storyline of the next few weeks and months in college basketball, um, depending on if he does reclassify or not, and then just the uh, the compelling nature of Cal recruiting against Memphis and and all that stuff. It's it's uh, it's been very intriguing to see the way that this is starting to unfold and what still might happen. Well, who else could get a 66-minute podcast in April for college basketball? Only, only us. But you know what? I did enjoy our talk, and uh, it was good to catch up with you. It did feel, I did. It does feel a little weird not doing three podcasts a week. But I also really appreciate. Uh, listen, I'm, I'm getting in some guitar time, some drum time, some father time. It is good to get to get reacquainted with my family again as well. So that's been. Uh, that's been fun, but we know we, we know you guys like the podcast, so we'll keep them coming fairly regularly overall, and then we'll see what happens, uh, I guess, in the coming week or so. GP, what do you got planned for the weekend, man? Let's just, before we wrap up, I'm curious about your social schedule over the next couple of days. What do I have planned for the weekend? Well, because my wife opened uh, the children's boutique, she now works every Saturday at the children's boutique, so I'm, in, I'm with kids all day on Saturday. Um, so to just be uh, me and the boys hanging out here at the house, you know, probably have baseball on and just... Uh, you know, it's it's basically warm enough to swim now, so we'll have them in the backyard oh swimming and stuff. And, We've yeah, had two so days over fifty degrees so far in Connecticut. It's been terrible. 
Yeah, it was like 74 here yesterday. I mean, it's like if you jumped in the pool, you'd be cold. But like kids don't care about that. They just want to be in the pool. So we'll hang at the house tomorrow while Kelly uh, tries to set up a, 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 a tries to sell enough baby clothes so I can eventually retire. <laughs> and um, then on Sunday, I think I'm playing golf. I think golf on with the kids on Saturday, and uh, golf on Sunday, and you know hopefully watching uh, the the Mets uh, beat the Braves consistently. That's yeah, really all uh, I got. Your Mets are off to a pretty good start overall. It's the Mets and the Red Sox, man. They've been they've been tearing up baseball so far so it's been fun like to your point about the getting reacquainted with the family like that's a fun part of the past few weeks is just i'm home like my suitcase is in the attic like that that has not been the case since november and so to just have a, a normal routine now you know i i wake up and i hang out with the kids and then we get them off to school and and then i you know i i i do some writing and prepare for a radio show then I do it then I come home every night after radio and we you know we we we're in the kitchen together as a family or in the back you know on the back porch together as a family you know we're watching Mets game as a family like we're playing video games together like it's, it's like it's nice you feel like a normal person you know it's, it's good what normal no. people do. absolutely hey real quick before we wrap up so I I don't really watch a lot of TV during the season because I just, frankly, it's it's hard for me to find the time to do so. So I always spend the off season kind of catching up on shows. So I just started watching Billions. I believe you've watched Billions, right? No, I haven't seen. Okay, it. it's actually so. Here's the thing. So my wife, like my wife, is just really picky about TV shows. Like she she'll start one and then she's like, oh, I don't want to do this. I'm like, well, you know. I waited two months for you to like start watching this with me, but she actually started watching Billions with me on a whim, and she actually really likes it. It is. Uh, I'm in season one. It's intriguing. I would I would recommend it. The acting is pretty good, and um, if you can get over the fact that this is Brody running a hedge fund out of uh, Westport, Connecticut, um, and he does a really Damian Lewis does a really good job. So anyway, that's my TV recommendation for you right now. That's the one that I'm currently currently involved in. So are you are you caught up on the Americans? I am caught up on the Americans, and I'm 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 waiting here, Parrish. Are you all caught up? I haven't watched when the most recent okay. episode. I've got to get. I I like. I started it, so it airs on Wednesday night. Yeah. I think I woke up in the middle of the night last, like Thursday night, and uh, or Wednesday. You know, like early right. Thursday. I woke up early Thursday, and I turned it on to watch, and then I fell asleep again. So I haven't haven't watched it yet, but I'll watch it by. Certainly by the weekend. I'm, I'm hoping this series wraps up well, but I actually think this most recent episode was the weakest of the season so far. After a, a fairly solid episode, so maybe I'll just set your expectations low. But right, and then I, I've still got to finish because these these seasons that that drift into college basketball season, you just lose track. Like yes. we're too busy, and so I've got to get caught up on the Biggie Tupac thing. Although I didn't love it, but I'm just like halfway done with it, so. I want to finish it. Okay. And and uh, so that was on USA, I think. And then I still got two episodes of Mr. Robot to watch. I have not. Just let me know if that's worth it. Listeners, let me know if it's, I watched the first episode of season three, and then I just I didn't catch up with it. So uh, this should tell you something. Like when I watched the first season of Mr. Robot, I couldn't wait to watch the next episode. Like now we're in season three, and I'm like, right. I've got. I've had two episodes to watch for like months and I'm just like, I just don't care. Like it, it really became a, not a chore, but like I didn't have any, does like, I, it's not like I couldn't wait for the next episode clearly, but I do want to knock it out and just see yeah. how the, how the season ended. So th- this is the time of the year to do that kind of stuff. It is. 
All right, let's go. Uh, let's go enjoy our weekends, enjoy our families, and uh, I presume we'll have updates on the, from the commission next week. So I would think a podcast would be in order after that. Yeah, just for people who have asked, we will at least have one every week, at least one every week, and you know, as news um, develops and if we deem it necessary, or if we just want to do it, we'll, we'll add more. But at least one a week. Uh, that's a promise. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry, MF, and Teagle, the legend. And uh, remember to go subscribe to the Island College Basketball Podcast via Apple Podcast. Rate it favorably. Five stars. Nice comments. That's all we ask in return. We will sit here and, and just ramble for 80 minutes. If, if you'll just please subscribe uh, over on Apple Podcasts. And you do that. We'll be back next week. Till then, take care.